we go, guys. This is Silicon Real, the video podcast dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I also host London Real, which is a similar three-person trialogue format. Uh, we have guests like uh, Tim Ferriss from the Four Hour Work Week, uh, futurist Jason Silva, drug smuggler Howard Marks was sitting in your chair, Simon, and uh, yesterday we had Bruce Perry from Tribe. Um, who was cool. here? He was intense, man. We was talking about going to Africa and doing all this crazy shit. So, um, so check that out if you like. My co-host today is entrepreneur Colin Pyle, who uh, comes to London from Canada, Toronto. We're not holding that against you. Um, you've also, ouch, yeah, you've also spent some time in China and India with these uh, massive motorcycle rides, which are very cool to watch. So oh, hopefully, hopefully, I, yeah. I love your China bike ride, and uh, India is coming soon, right? Yeah, it should be on Travel Channel end of this year, hopefully. Okay, yeah. cool. And Silicon Reel is is your brainchild. You're the reason we're here. Episode thirteen, it's fun that, as hell. Is that a lucky one or unlucky yeah, yeah? One? I'm always a big fan. Should lucky, lucky thirteen. Lucky so. thirteen. Yeah, so it's it's all good. Our guest today is Mr. Simon Devonshire, who is uh, the director of new business ventures for Wira Europe. Uh, Waira is a startup technology, uh, sorry, startup accelerator owned by Telefonica, um, the uh, global communications company, right? Yep. Um, it, uh, you guys launched in Latin America and Spain in 2011, and you now have 14 academies in 12 countries. Yep. That's big. Um, you, uh, the, the startups that you accept receive funding up to 40,000 pounds plus office space and mentoring. Yes. Okay. Welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you. Thanks well, for being here. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's good to have you here. You know, it's interesting. Um, Colin and I have kind of been around the block now when it comes to uh, the Silicon Roundabout. You know, we've talked to VCs, we've talked to startups, some equity crowdfunding, um, and even a couple small, small, small incubators, incubators, right? So yeah. we kind of know our, our stuff. But, I mean, I was looking at Weira today, and, you know, you guys are a different animal. You know, you're bigger. You put up bigger chunks of cash. I think you just accepted 10 people into, into your, uh, is it your unlimited academy? Exactly. And yep. so, like, that's kind of big news. And, like, it seems like you got a lot of people that are helping out. you got big open office space yep. in Tottenham Court Road. And, yep. and uh, I wonder if you could just tell us about Weira because some people haven't heard of it. So I, I never assume that people have heard it. In fact, I don't assume that people have heard of, of Telefonica, frankly. Yeah. In the UK, obviously, uh, Telefonica is famous for the O2 brand. Um, yeah. As you said, Wira is uh, the business accelerator of uh, Telefonica. We're wholly owned by Telefonica. Uh, and it's a very simple concept. We build a physical space. We run a competition. We find the best digital talent. Uh, we invest in it and we accelerate it. We take an equity stake. Um, and, you know, our whole purpose for being is to see those businesses grow. So that's our measure of success. That's our performance metric. Uh, and that's what we're measured for and by. Um, I think it's important to really emphasize that because I think people think that maybe this is some kind of corporate social responsibility or marketing activity or something to do with sustainability or maybe it's a youth program or something of that nature and it's none of those things this is a commercial venture um, it's about investment uh, and it's about you know uh, working hard to grow the book value of that investment um, so with regard to age for instance uh, why is a very inclusive program so um, I'd say that typically the average age is kind of 32. In London, it's probably nearer 37. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not chosen by me, and they're not chosen by Telefonica or O2. Uh, these startups are chosen by an expert panel of judges who we appoint. Uh, and what's interesting about that is they tend to choose people who are a bit more seasoned, a bit more experienced, been around the block, got a bit more life experience. Uh, and that's reflected in the type of businesses that we uh, invest into. Um, 
The thing that unites them is that they're all digital. Um, they're not just telco or mobile. They're not just apps. Um, they're very diverse, very eclectic. Uh, what we're looking for really is stuff that we think we can add value to at the end of the day. Now you say it's digital. What, what, what makes it digital? I mean, it can't be like a juice company startup. There has to be some angle. Well, it, it could be a juice company, tricky. provided that there is a sufficient, you know, provided that digital is at the heart of it. So, for instance, if it was a juice company that uh, enabled people uh, to, um, you know, I don't know, aggregated recipes from around the world that uh, in choosing the juice of your choice that you could walk down Tottenham Court Road and not have to queue to order it, that, you know, predictively there's predictive intelligent convenience built into some kind of platform that kind of predicted that you were in need of a juice and you could just roll up and you know your whole transaction was automated and everything else then we'd be kind of interested in that okay. so provided that digital is a fundamental component of whatever you know the venture is then then that's that's cool from our point of view you know, it's weird because you don't see a lot of huge corporates, let alone telecommunication giants, setting something up like this, unless I've been misinformed. You don't even see a lot of big companies, banks, consultancy firms. I mean, it seems like everybody wants to get into this, but no one seems like they're cutting the check or setting up yeah. a, an independent way of doing it. Yeah, I think you're right. Why? So, why? I mean, you don't think it... I'm sorry, I don't mean to... Yeah. Be Telefonica, you don't think of them as being the guys that are way out in front, but we, they are in this yeah. case. Well, they, they, I think they are. I think... Uh, and I want to change that. Um, I don't want... Uh, so I look around a lot and, and you're right, I don't, don't see anything that's quite comparable to this yet and I want there to be more, many more, and I'll explain, uh, explain why. I think we have a unique asset and it's, uh, to be honest, it's uh, my boss and my boss's boss uh, they're very visionary guys, and Jose Maria effectively is the, the CEO now of Telefonica globally. Uh, and it was really his brainchild and his championing of this that makes it possible. Because, um, believe me, it's really hard to be that entrepreneurial within a corporate environment. So unless you have somebody who is constantly there to, in many ways, protect it, if I'm honest, um, it could quite easily get swamped by the corporate monster. And I think some of the things that uh, uh, corporate peers struggle with is getting through all of that bureaucracy necessary to make something like this happen. So I see a lot of enthusiasm. I mean, I've had conversations with corporates as diverse as a Formula One motor racing team through to household grocery uh, goods manufacturers, even high street retailers, uh, household names. Frankly, they've all been in to the academy at some point or other. And when I say they, I mean, you know, CEO level. Um, to the extent that <clears throat> now it's a weekly thing, it, literally every week. But getting them from that enthused, impassioned conversation into, as you say, writing a check and actually making this happen is, is clearly a big step. Now, I think Microsoft are, are, are doing some great stuff now. I hear that they've got some incubators yeah. that are starting to launch. And what about Google? Are they kind of have like Google Ventures? Yeah, they've got Google Ventures. They've got Campus. Right. But that is quite different. So yeah. Campus describes itself as an open source building. And I think that's magic. You know, there's no doubt that that is a, a real gravity point of absolute density. And I do believe that density is a core component of this ecosystem. Um, uh, and I think Google have done an incredible job of driving that easy, especially, you know, his championship. I think also just the name, the brand, their investment in um, Tech City and in Shoreditch kind of validates everybody else's conviction to be here. So I think that's really awesome. And they've, they're a house now that contains loads of really interesting rooms. You know, they've got, they've got all sorts going on there, including incubators. 
Um, Wire is quite different to that. You know, we're not an open source building. We're actually, we have 24 security. We're closed. You know, uh, okay, and you're not in shortage. We're yeah. not in shortage, yeah, <laughs> which is a big decision and one that I've got in quite a lot of trouble for. Um, but it's a decision that I'm really proud of. You know, I, I think that the location we're in is fantastic and what it gives us is um, an amazing office space where uh, effectively um, everybody is on one floor. So we don't have that kind of divisiveness of one one floor playing off another floor kind of thing. I mean, I've, I've now, I've contradicted that because we've just opened another floor in the building, which right. is to house the unlimited For the thing. new grads, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah, so that's, you know. But, you know, I'm, I'm making a massive investment to literally, um, in the next couple of weeks, we start work to cut the concrete between the two floors. And mm. we've designed For a staircase. Slide. Yeah, yeah, it's oh. a massive staircase we're putting in Fire to connect ball. the two together, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. So, uh, so that's you know, cool. it's, it's, the space is really important and we invest a lot of money in the space, which is really important because we're leveraging goodwill and discretionary effort everywhere and uh when you guys come i mean you've, you've been on there yeah. um you know if you were uh, to uh have a meeting there uh by you know basically if you chat up the team who run it then they'll let you in kind of thing if you have a meeting there you might be compelled to bring other people who are key to the ecosystem into the building now if you do that and the building's a bit shit that's just not cool. So one of the reasons why we create an amazing space is to, and I hate the term elitist and elitism, but you know, frankly, we're trying to draw in the best talent we can, the best startups, the best entrepreneurs, the best coaches, the best mentors, and the best investors. And you know, my experience is, you know, O2's headquarters is in Slough. It's a pretty tough job to get the investor community to come out and engage. And I think it's quite unlikely I'm going to get them to Slough. To someone who's not listening to us in London, how would you describe Slough? And be very careful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I used to, I, so I went there, uh, I ran the business, uh, the B2B division of O2 for 57 months. So I went there pretty much every Counting day. every month. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Yeah, and it's important because, you know, the average tenure in, in, in that um, industry is, is nine months. So, you know, uh, 57 is quite some record. Um, and, you know, I have to tell you, um, the O2 campus there is incredible. It's a beautiful place to be. But because of the nature of the work and the people who you work with, you never get beyond the campus. So I can't actually answer your question, what is Slough, because I never actually went into the town. I only went to the, the Bath Road Slough trading estate, which is famous from the office. Um, and that, that was yeah. my home. Yeah, the, so the office, yeah, the, the original the, office. The original office, yeah. yeah. The, not the American one, that yeah. was second. Yeah. Uh, they're based in Slough, right? Yeah. There's an old poem about Slough, I think. There is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know it by heart. It's, I mean, generally, in summation of the poem, it's best avoided. But um, it's kind of like the staff canteen until okay. recently. Were you, were you inspired by like Google? Because Google, I think, was made famous by the design of their workspace as far as the proximity of people, you know, the beverages and everything, making everyone communicate and work together. I mean, what did you study to create the Wire building? Space. So I didn't design it. Um, I, I probably had too much of a hand in, in its construction, but it's only because I interfere a lot and I'm, you know, uh, fairly... Um, 
micromanager? Uh, yeah, kind kind of maybe slightly on the borderline edge of uh, <laughs> obsessive on the detail thing. It can, uh, be, a, it can be a compliment. Well, maybe, I'm not sure they, the team would regard it as that. But anyway, I could show you the 28 emails about the expansion strips in the concrete. Um, no, to your point, uh, we use the same team of architects, um, a company called QA, an incredible, um, relatively small uh, practice based in Madrid, and they've designed all of our academies globally. Um, and we've learned exponentially from having that consistency. What we try to do is kind of McDonald's-fy that in terms of standardization. So there are several bits of furniture that literally are identical in every single academy mm. because we want that... Um, uh, it's not just that we want uniformity, it's that um, we want to really leverage the fact that we have this global network, because I think that is really unique. And I think it's really important, because, for instance, in Ireland, the economy is still having a pretty tough time. Uh, but two of our startups in Dublin, in the first cohort, are now actively selling in Latin America. Okay. Now, that's important. Uh, it's important for, for several reasons. Um, one, the economies in Latin America are now growing exponentially. So Brazil, 5% growth in the last year, which is great. So relative to Ireland, that's, that's really important. Secondly, it's important because for those particular teams, um, selling out there, um, selling in Latin America is pretty much unimaginable before they joined Wira. And then it became a high priority. So mm. to go from unimaginable to a high priority and then to actually kind of happening is, is quite an amazing thing. And the third reason it's important to Ireland is we, we, we laugh with our, our colleagues, particularly Carl and Gav, who run uh, Wire Dublin, that they never see the sun. So, the, you know, that connection to Latin America is, is all the more powerful. <laughs> In fact, if we find them right now, I'm sure it's raining. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> how do you how do you sort of manage to connect all the all the because you you know fourteen globally that's that's a lot, that's a lot to work yeah. and, and is there ten in each one is that um, so uh, it's a, all good question so okay. in terms of the number of um, businesses in the academies ten in each apart from London and Sao Paulo who have uh, twenty okay uh, and it's exponentially harder work. Uh, sure. It's not just a doubling. It's quite incredible the effect that has. Um, in terms of the connectivity between them, um, we we work hard. We have a, a, a global technology platform that enables that integration, a global kind of, if you like, a data management repository. Um, we have a global management team uh, headed by my boss in Madrid, and that's their job to really get that coordination. I'm really focused on just Europe, and okay. I concentrate you know, exclusively on that. And we bring the, the, um, uh, the academy directors together as frequently as we can. So we're all meeting in Barcelona on Monday, uh, but that's a global meet, so that's you know, literally coming from all of the Latin academies as well. Yeah. We, tough, that's a tough business trip, Barcelona. Well, yeah. actually, this is the thing. I'm so lucky. You know, in Europe, we have uh, London, Dublin, Munich, Madrid, Barcelona, and Prague. So, and, and we've got what well, I would describe grade A1 locations in every one of those cities as well. We purposefully in their equivalent of the West End, and there are all sorts of reasons why we've chosen that. Um, but we, we also integrate the startups by virtue of the different events that we attend. So one of the things that's great about this ecosystem is just how collaborative it is. And, you know, um, it was only a week or so ago we had campus party in London. So we, we invested in bringing uh, some of our team from all across Europe. And then the teams themselves pay their own money to attend. So we help them with the tickets and all that kind of stuff. But they've got to warn it. So they pay for their own travel and accommodation and everything. And they come. They mm. come. And they, they genuinely hang out. And there's a lot of cross-pollination, cross-fertilization. And that's the key ingredient for Wira. Because 
before they come, they're the best of the best, these guys. Uh, they fret and they worry about the quality of the coaching and mentoring. But the truth is they get more from one another than they will from anyone else. Interesting, because you, you hear incubators talk about what they're going to give you. Right. I, I rarely hear that angle. They're going to be collaborating you know, with each other. You're obviously probably a cost center for Telefonic. I mean, you probably you know, are going to be losing money for a while because your percentages in these new companies could take you know, seven to ten years to yeah. come to fruition. Do you have like a certain amount of time before they're going to come in and, and shut you down? Yeah. Well, I mean, because like you said, it's hard to get an investment like that. Yeah. You know, if it's growing exponentially, I'm guessing your costs are growing exponentially. So we're managing to control the costs, interestingly. Um, I mean, obviously, um, in the initial period, I negotiated some really interesting deals on, you know, kind of the rents and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, um, but we are keeping really close control of the costs and relative to the multi-billion scale of Telefonica, the total cost of wire globally is not much more than a rounding error, frankly, um, for, for a corporate of that size. But that's not to say it's not trivial and we are under a lot of pressure. So are the operating businesses. You know, it's, it's quite well known that uh, the telco industry generically is having a tough time of it. You know, there's a lot of competition, there's regulation, uh, and there's all sorts of pressures and strains within that industry. So if you're in the front line running that business and then you look at, you know, there's this Devonshire guy with this flamboyant office that he's got, you know, really? there's a, a lot of pressure. There's a okay. lot of pressure on that. But um, to your point, you know, we're two years in. Um, we've seen an exponential shift in the quality of the businesses that we're working with now. Last year, we were investing 40,000 euros for a 10% equity stake, which would value those businesses pre-money at 400,000 euros. Today, we have businesses that are being valued literally in the tens of millions of euros. Um, and you know, to see that seismic shift in such a short period of time, which a year ago, we were having conversations with VC, and it was quite apparent that we are pre-VC, that our startups, even when they leave us, are pre-VC. Now we're having meaningful conversations with VCs because we're not. We're actually in their heartland now with some of our startups. So, um, so maybe you are making a profit. Well, we, we, we absolutely intend to. The, the problem, as you well uh, identify, is that you, know, you need a track record of probably four or five years. And so in many ways, I guess part of my job is to keep the thing alive because at the end of that kind of time period, the numbers should stand for themselves. So, um, you know, that's, that's why I work as hard as I work, um, to, you know, keep this thing motoring on. And I'm confident in it. You know, if I, uh, I can see differences in every country. I'm very lucky by virtue of my job to have that perspective right across Europe. And there is significant cultural differences in each country. Um, but we have some countries where I think unequivocally, you know, wire is working. And London is one of those. You know, okay. Dublin is another. Uh, and it's and we we get that computationally through all the metrics and mathematics of what we do, so the physical number of applications, the scores that those applications achieve through the filtering process, the quality of their their pitching, which again is scored, and then you know the number of investor conversations and the amount of money they're raising, you know all those metrics are going through the roof. Hard to look at the actual. Startups who are with us right now because they're so embryonic. But if you look at the alumni, we've got nearly 100 startups now who have moved beyond Wira. We've invested 4.6 million euros in them. They've attracted 11.3 million. 
So already we're more than doubling the money that's going into them. And I think that that, uh, that uh, is a lead indicator of, of, of where we're going to see this going. You know, one question Colin and I always ask, you know, whoever's here, whether it's a VC or a startup, is we, we ask, you know, what, why will you win in this space? And it's a little bit different, I guess, with an incubator. But mm. you must hate getting lumped in with a lot of incubators because they're everywhere yeah. right now. Yeah. And um, I, you've touched on a few things why you think Wire is different. But why will you guys win? I mean, what, what do you do differently at a core or at an advice level or something? Because a lot of people seem to get it wrong, yeah. this space. So I think um, we're still learning a lot. And I'm not proposing for one moment that we've we've cracked it and that we've got the magic ingredient i don't i don't think yet there is a formula that guarantees business success or startup success i do think that we are learning a lot though and i do think we're getting nearer and nearer to you know a formulaic approach if you do these things you will outturn a successful business uh, genuinely i think we're we're approaching that kind of science but in answer to your question why 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 are why telefonica Simply put, fast-track access to potentially 300 million customers. So television took, uh, reputedly, according to the internet, 38 years to reach an audience of 50 million people. Facebook took less than two. Theoretically, with our resources, we could do it in a heartbeat. It's not easy, and it's not trivial, and we've got to get the right proposition, the right entrepreneur. You know, it, it's, you've got to create a perfect storm. And if it were easy, we'd have done it ourselves, or Telefonica would have done it ourselves. But the reason why I'm so passionate about corporates being in this space is there are loads of different investment vehicles, VCs, you mentioned institutional investors, angel investors, whatever. The thing that we've got that they don't have is that fast track route to market. Now, if you take Telefonica, we invest in a music startup and as a result of our investment, they're worth X times what they might have otherwise been worth. But imagine if they were backed by us and EMI or and Universal you probably double it instantly again. And, you know, the, the global resources that you could then bring to that startup, you know, as I said, you can't guarantee their success, but what you should be able to do is really motor them if they've got the, the right uh, ingredients. Yeah, Telefonica is a big company. If you don't know it, look it up. Yeah. Um, you know, how how hands on are you with with like so you bring Telefonica and the you know international network and access yeah. to a huge market? But are you guys actually also very hands on with your entrepreneurs? Yeah, we we increasingly so. Um, so um, I'm, I'm thrilled that we were able to recruit. Um, uh, we've had some amazing academy directors run our cohorts, okay? Um, so we had Ashley Stockwell run the first cohort for London, and now we have Charmaine Eggbury, who is incredible. Charmaine's philosophy is lean in, and so she's absolutely gone from a relatively passive program to a highly involved program, and, and she's actively coaching and mentoring those businesses at a very personal level on a weekly basis. So they are getting quite a lot of intervention, which is a positive thing. I personally am I'm not so involved. I was originally, and it breaks my heart. So I now walk into academies and meet people who I ought to know and, frankly, couldn't even place what startup they're in. But, you know, my portfolio is, is um, you know, I have more than 120 startups now in my portfolio, and I just physically, personally can't keep a track of all of them in that personally connected way. Sure. So I get all the reports and analysis through. Um, but what's interesting is... Um, uh, when I speak to people, the extent to which people are compelled and want to fuck around with startups, it really amazes me. And, and I, you know, I'm really keen to not do that and not be party to it. 
Um, you know, I think if the guys need help or want help, they'll ask for it. I think, you know, you need to lay out, you know, a, a program that they can actively engage in and participate in that adds value to them. Um, but they ultimately run their own business. You know, uh, if if I can, you know, if I can impart some wisdom, it's it's partly to do with hindsight because I've got a ton of relevant experience in there. I know exactly what it's like to be in their shoes. I've co-founded seven startups now, and um, uh, but it's more about foresight than anything else. It's you know how can you save them from some of the pain that you might have experienced before in 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 your kind of lifetime. But I don't feel compelled to just go up and preach to them. I, I, it's sort of quite the opposite, really. It must be hard to resist yourself sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And what about your alumni? Because your alumni, in theory, is just going to continue to grow, grow, yeah. grow, grow. Do you have to hire like every year a new team to, well, to, to help the alumni? We haven't, and I think we need to. So um, we're still debating what best to do there. Um, they vary a lot in terms of their... Um, their level of engagement and at the moment we've absolutely left that to them to determine so we've asked them to uh, adhere to a rigid structure of, of uh, interaction with us and some have others haven't um, now I, I think um, without wanting to become heavy-handed with the alumni I think what that indicates to me is we haven't quite got the formula right yet and what we need is for them to be compelled to because of the value and benefits it brings to them. Right. And I, I think it's relatively low touch. You know, as an investor, it's not unreasonable for us to expect them to, you know, submit all their reports and management uh, accounts to us and so forth. Um, and, you know, um, I guess, you know, in the, in the world of a startup, shit happens and sometimes reporting back to your, your investors can be a relatively low priority when you've got, you know... Yeah when you've got a burning platform. Sure. You know, we always try to hit you with a couple like devil's advocate questions, so yeah. I'm gonna start if you Go don't on. mind. Yeah, for um, But uh, you know, the one thing, well, the two things actually, sometimes people uh, have told me that, that London is over incubated. Yeah. There's a lot of different programs that are accepting people yeah. and uh, putting the money in and then, you know, keeping their hopes up or yeah. wasting their time. We had, yeah. you know, a couple of the VC guys even said that. Of course, yeah. maybe they would say that. Yeah. Um, and the other piece I'm always wondering about is ultimately you do have this huge communications giant, Telefonica, yeah. that kind of get look gets looks yeah. at maybe investing more. And so how do you balance, you know, this huge corporate coming in and yeah. doing what they want to, yeah. having their way with these yeah. startup companies? Um, yeah, those are two yeah, questions. Two, two questions. So the first one uh, is London over incubated. Um, categorically and mathematically, no, it's not. So when we opened Wira, we received uh, one thousand thirty-one uh, applications. So this 1, is two years ago. A year. Okay. Uh, so um, last May, I think it was uh, May twenty twelve. So, um, so one, one year ago. So one year yeah, and four just, months yeah. Okay. Um, so. Um, and now we've moved to a global call process where we typically get more than 3,000 applications. Just um, for the London? Uh, no, so that was now okay. an international call. But okay. you know, what we're seeing is you know, a, an exponential number of startups wanting to be part of an acceleration program. And I think that mathematically what that suggests to me is there's ample scope for more accelerators, um, in my opinion. But, it's a big but, it's not about the number and the quantity and the number of spaces available, it's about the quality. And I am acutely concerned about uh, just how many accelerators there are, how many spaces available, that, you know, and, and how good they are. And frankly, uh, the EU are going to 
pour a ton of money into this, which means a load of really well-intended people are going to be really compelled by it because, as I said, everybody wants to fuck around with uh, startups. Mm. So we're going to see accelerators and incubators popping up everywhere. Some might be very good. I think generally the quality will be really poor, and I think that uh, however well-intended they are, unless they leverage um, the kind of differentiators and value adds that that you know a big corporate can bring with their corporate muscle and then all their customers then um, they're just going to muddy all the waters, frankly. Now, it's very easy to point the finger and say, oh, that's just an incumbent being uh, defensive of maintaining and protecting their current state. And, and it isn't. I talk to the VC guys as well, and they share the same concern. And actually, the EU money is well-intended also, but it's pointing the wrong place. We have what we call the missing middle, which is the bit post-accelerator, pre-VC. There's just the gap. There's a gargantuan gap. And if any money was going to be poured anyway, it should be poured into that gap, in my opinion. Um, with regard to big corporates, you know, fiddling around and doing unspeakable things. To I mean, the power of the purse, yeah. you know, they are paying the bills. Yeah. You know, are they going to fiddle around with these guys and do horrible things to them and then, you know, <laughs> abuse them and all that kind of stuff? Monthly um, beating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I have to excuse my language, but, you know, not, not on my watch because, you know, I've invested my reputation in this thing to such an extent that, you know, um, I'm not prepared for people to fuck about with it, with these guys, you know, whilst I'm around. And uh, I've got no intention of going anywhere. Um, and even if even if I uh, if I did, I'm so connected to the whole thing, I, I would trust that people would sort of pick up the phone. And, uh, you know, um, I am aware of it. Um, I think that there's a lesson for all small businesses. Um, though I describe, you know, small businesses versus big businesses a bit like boxers. You know, and I think you know uh, the corporates are the super heavyweights, the startups are the, the flyweights. Now, I don't think the corporates know the power of their punch. I don't think they deliberately set out to annihilate small businesses. What they don't realise is one cancelled order can basically bankrupt uh, the small guy. And so, the thing that small businesses need is a champion, an advocate, and they should think of that champion uh, as as uh, a fire alarm. So, what you want in the event of fire is not somebody who's really senior. So everybody thinks that they need a, you know, a director or the CEO to be behind them. It's not what you need. In the event of fire, you need somebody who's going to shout really loudly. That's what's going to save you. Um, and if you've got somebody there, I've, I've helped encourage some startups directly into Telefonica before I was doing Wire. Uh, inevitably, unfortunately, things went wrong. Uh, I was able to protect those uh, small businesses and got things put right again. And, you know, uh, nearly always when that happens, when you actually get through to the the person at the very top of that chain or whatever, when you explain to them what's happened, they go, oh, shit, I never even knew. Because if you're, a, if you're a, a, a Telefonica or a Microsoft, you're used to dealing with like a, a Nokia, you know, and you're not used to dealing with a guy who employs three people. Um, so, you know, it's sometimes, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk about this. I, I went to a, a political thing and they were saying, you know, terrible corporates not doing enough to support small businesses and they should do more with more small businesses. They're fundamentally not engineered to. You know, they're engineered to go and hammer out a corporate deal with Google. You know, in, 
you know, do you know what I mean? That's, yeah, and keep their market share. I mean, right, we exactly. we always knock into innovators' dilemma here, and and why it exists and why it will exist forever. Mm. I guess. Do you think I just before you go, Colin? Yep. Do you think the wrong incubation can kill a company? Not delay it, but just kill it. Um, I think actually that's a very good question. Um, sometimes it should. So our job is not necessarily to define the destiny of a company, but it's to help get them to that destiny quicker. Now, you know, fail fast is not a bad thing. And, uh, you know, if, if that was a, basically an unviable business, helping them and supporting them, particularly supporting them financially through that process to explosion, you know, sometimes that's okay in my view. Um, where I think, you know, do some accelerators or incubators have the wrong methodology? Absolutely. Uh, I've, I've spoken to several who talk to me about, you know, their theory, and I'm bemused by some of it. You know, um, I can't see how you can... Our programs are really quite long, chronologically. Um, One year know. or more? Well, we're, we're moving to a cycle of rotation every four months, but the idea is to extend... So if you're a really good startup and you meet your milestone, we'll extend you. So you go from four to eight months and then from eight to 12, you know. So the idea is we're trying to get people to a long period. Um, but frankly, if they don't meet the milestone sooner, then we can, you know, park company quicker. But typically, we're working with these guys for probably the best part of nine months currently is our current average in Europe. But there are startup accelerator programs out there that, you know, are three weeks I mean, Christ, we barely even get to know them in three weeks, let alone accelerate them. You know, that's, and, uh, that, that's short. That yeah. kind of really freaks me out when I hear about these programs. And, you know, and that's why I kind of worry about some of the other programs because you know, we are very much a location-specific program because we're very participative. You've got to be there. So unless you're there, you can't get the benefit from it. So you... You know, and then you've got to be there, and it's like a long time period because we want to really grow your business. So, and that's the decision we've made. Now, I'm not saying it's the right choice, and I'm not saying that other people can't do it in other ways, but there's a real logic to how we got to where we got to. So, anybody that says, right, well, we're virtual, instantly I'm thinking, well, how are you going to get all the cross fertilization, cross pollination of your, your talent from peer to peer? If they're not physically in a room, how do you make that happen? It's possible, but it's harder, right? And then if you're only going to do it once a week for, a, you know, six weeks, how are you going to get, you know, that exchange, you know? So, you know, we've, we've come at this from a point of view of, of what we think is the most appropriate methodology. What's great about having 14 is if we only had one, we could only evolve our program at the rate of one. But we have 14, all led by amazing people. So we're actually evolving and iterating wire at a rate of about 20. So the problem I have is keeping up with the damn thing. Sounds like a busy day. What, what did I miss, Colin? Um, yeah, you guys invest 40,000 euros. Yeah. Do you ever think that's just not enough? and that, it's, you know, It's deliberately not enough. Right. So um, we, we invested quite a lot more at one point, and uh, I thought about it hard, and we debated it long and hard. And, and you know, ultimately, um, my thought was uh, it's enough to get rid of the obstacles on, that might prevent you from joining Wara, but it's not enough for you to live off. So right. the idea is you've got to come preconditioned to having uh, either, um, you've either decided to compromise your lifestyle and only live off baked beans, or you've got savings, or you've got friend and family investment, or you've got an angel investor, or you've got revenue. But if you haven't got one of those five things, you're not going to survive the time. So we're looking for people who 
who figured that out and are on it. Now, it doesn't mean they have to have solved it, but they need to have, they need to be on it. So uh, whether, is that why they're older, typically? I guess, I guess, you know, um, you know, I'm just, you know, it's a self-selecting thing. I don't want people who, who, who rock up, you know, hey, let's start a startup, because it's like uh, they haven't got a job, basically. Uh, that's the wrong motivation. You know, I want people who are, you know, made a life decision to pursue a dream. It is a danger these days, and I find yeah. myself, even the more shows we do, is that a lot of people we meet a drink about, it's like, it's the new rock star. Yeah. You know, I want to do a startup. Right. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. Look at the exits. And then you visit them, and Colin and I have, and you realize it's a grind. Man. It's, it's grind. It's a stressful. You don't know where your payroll is going to come from. You know, yeah. you're living off savings. It's hard. And, it's really you know, hard. the vast majority are going to fail. Right. <laughs> Uh, the mortality rate at, yeah, uh, at early stage is is just you know right. ridiculous, but it is, it's ridiculously hard work. It's not just a bit hard work, you know. It, 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 why would anybody do this? It's just nuts, right? But it is amazing. And and what I think, you know, we've got the best opportunity on earth right now. Um, there's never been more opportunity than there is right now, and that's why it's so exciting. And what I see in our, in our cohorts is. You know, it's not just collaboration. These are comrades who are fighting to change the world. And, and absolutely, my passion isn't necessarily for entrepreneurs or for startups. It's world changers. And that's what I'm seeing. You know, and I think that uh, it, that's the, I, you know, if you're compelled to do anything, it's, I'm compelled to help them do that. And, and actually, it's nothing to do with the money. If the truth be known. Yeah, the energy is infectious. It's like why we started the show, because it's really hard once you go to some of these events. It's just nice to see people excited and <laughs> change. And I always joke with Colin, it's like you meet people that enjoy their jobs, which is rare. So it's, yeah. it's like, it's refreshing. I was wondering, I mean, I looked at your 10 startups and it's everybody from genomics to, to job skills to skin analysis. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that one of your... The reasons you're going to succeed is that you have the whole telephonic enterprise. But do you find yourself trending towards one way or another? You know, obviously we know fintech's big in London. It's something that comes a lot on this show. Yeah. Doesn't look like you're looking to specialize that. Is it something that ultimately leverages Telefonica's yeah. assets? So, so at the moment we're really generic in our calls. Uh, so digital, but um, can be really eclectic. Uh, what I love about um, the the cohorts is. There are always surprises. Unfortunately, that's both good and bad news. So you say uh, cohort. You got to describe cohort. cohort. So a cohort is the <laughs> group. It's the group. It's it's it's, the, it's like a semester, if you like. It's okay. like the the the, 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 the at the body. moment they're coming in 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 bands. So we have like you know ten teams have just joined Wire Unlimited, and that's our cohort. So okay. It's like the teams. They say language is everything, yeah. and you call so your 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 places academies. Academies, well. yeah, that's very that's important. Academies. Languages. Yeah. So cohort. So there. So it's a cohort. It's a group. It's a group of ten. It's a group, ten, but ten different startups okay so um what's amazing about them and and part of this is is joyful the other part of it's heartbreaking is um you can't help when you get to know them to form an opinion and and have your own view you want to love all of your children equally but you know it's just inevitable some you think are rock stars and others you think well it's not gonna work what's incredible is in the journey always without exception there are some that literally swap those camps And uh, uh, they go from rock stars to maniacs and completely implode. And you've got other ones. I've got this uh, one team who are incredible, two, two very unassuming guys who talk about what they're doing. And then you ask them, so who's your competition? And they say, Microsoft and Google. And you think, oh, God. And then they show you what they've built. And you think, actually... 
they might have just done it. Wow. And, and literally the investors queue up outside their, we call them a pod, so mm. they're the home that they're in. The investors, after a while, you see two or three investors hanging out, and then the others see that, and then they form a bit of a queue. And you think, <laughs> these guys are definitely onto something. And what they're going to do, it's called Here It's in Dublin, and they're going to transform corporate email. And they mm. really are going to transform corporate email. I'm sure of it. Good. Wow. It needs it needs a transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Email seems like it's stuck in the dark ages, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, totally. Yeah. It's like this it's whole just list not intelligent. of messages. You know, it's yeah. not personal anymore. I find. Yeah. It's got my name on it when you email it to me, but then it's just there's it. That's all that happens. It's yeah. not like okay, well, you're actually going to care about that one and not about this one. It's, yeah. Yeah. If if you had to it's, say, God forbid, you got sacked tomorrow and you had a non-compete and you can't do what you do anymore where I, I, I don't mean this in a bad way and we gave you some capital to go start your own business yeah well, what's the sector that you find very exciting right now and be as specific as you can yeah um i'm very lucky i have a, a multitude of interests outside of telefonica and outside wire and uh, recently my portfolio has just grown uh, in the last three weeks i've i've um sort of um I've, I've taken a decision a while ago to kind of stand down from some of my long, long-standing uh, commitments and I've taken on some new ones and there are various reasons for that. Commitments as in like board members? Yeah, or, okay, so no, I've, right, I've, okay. I've taken four new board appointments just in the last couple of weeks. And you've and gotten rid of some? Yeah, I've, I've, I've uh, stood down from a few, uh, which is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, so in terms of answering your question, you know, the areas of, uh, that really interest me, I'm fascinated by technology, particularly the div- digital economy and the revolution that it brings. I think that it's the most profound thing to have happened in the history of humanity. I think it's more profound than the Industrial Revolution. I think it's not yet commonly commonly understood. I think that we will look back at this era and this time and we'll realise how incredible the changes are that are happening. And, and some of those that interest me most, um, I'm really passionate, um, for instance, to be really specific, driverless car technology, mm. Um, I think it will change our lives immeasurably. People stop at the uh, incredulity of being in a vehicle that doesn't have a driver. Uh, And they don't go beyond that. But it's going to change absolutely everything. I mean, why would you bother even owning a car when you can summons one at your beck and call? Um, and traffic is such an inefficiency. Jesus, what's yeah. the drag on GDP in London of just right. traffic, traffic? Inefficient movement of cars. And, and then it's not just that, though, is it? It's you know all of the infrastructure behind it, traffic lights and everything else, become completely irrelevant. You know the parking in my street. We cleared the street for the uh, the Jubilee last year, and uh, we realised that we've actually got a motorway down our street because we have two lanes that are just full of stationary vehicles. Mm. You know, so every every uh, house has got between twenty and forty thousand pounds worth of idle asset just sat there doing nothing. Mm. Why would you have that? So, you know, new economy is going to be built not only in the creation and maintenance of those vehicles and how that's going to work, um, the repurposing of all our parking and our car parking facilities and car parks and all the rest of it. Even the repurposing of petrol stations. Why would you bother going to a petrol station when the car can go and fuel itself? You wouldn't bother, you know. So, um, you know, and I love the idea of, of claiming back those residential streets and greening them and enabling our children to play on them. Do you know in Britain something like, is it 9,500 people a year are 
uh, critically injured in motoring accidents. Wow. You know, you think about all Easy. the medical costs that go re related to that. You know, these cars are going to become literally uncrashable. And I mean it, you know, the mortality is going to become microscopic. In third world I, countries, it's tripled. Sure, I, I drove yeah. around China and India. I think India last year had about 130,000 deaths. It's terrible, you know. And yeah. so people think about, you know, oh, golly, there's going to be nobody in my car. But you know, it's going to change our lives. So if you think about what's happened in the music industry, where um, music has become, digital music has become almost worthless, but then you look at the value of the live performance because you can't freak the live performance, right? So people now pay, a friend of mine just paid 150 quid to go and see Rod Stewart. I think it's an incredible thing. <laughs> anyway, um, <coughs> I think the same is going to happen with conversations. We currently have all these different devices and we currently call one a mobile phone, another a tablet and another a television. But the reality is my television in my front room now can pretty much do everything my mobile phone can do. So why are we calling it those different things? They're just screens, different sizes. If you can have an intelligent conversation with anybody, anywhere, anywhere in the world, at any time, and I don't just mean the people in your phone directory who you know, but also the connectivity, you know, I can't believe that there's so many people follow me on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, and you know, they have immediate access to me 24 hours a day. You know. It's going to change the conversation. So what that then means is who you choose to be with right now is going to become exponentially even more important. It's going to become the equivalent of the, the concert ticket. Uh, and I think, you know, so what we're going to see is with three-dimensional, um, with 3D printing, you're going to see a complete transformation in the aviation industry. You know, I, I think it's uh, incredible, the, the debate that's being had in London right now about, you know, the possibility of another runway. We don't need to be predicting and planning for, you know, a doubling of uh, uh, air traffic. We need to be planning for a hundredfold. You know, my colleague Anne Parker, who, who helped build Wara, has just uh, yesterday landed in Australia for her new life to build uh, incubators and accelerators for Telstra out there. You know, it took her a, almost a day and a half to fly there, right? Crazy. In the future, we're going to be flying to Australia in four hours. The you know. Hyperloop thing? Or well, the, it's the, not just that. It's the fact that, you know, if you think about aviation, the plane weighs, you know, so much and it burns so much fuel just physically getting in the air. But if you can 3D print it, you can cut that weight to a fraction of its current weight. When I was a kid, as cars evolved, they were really notable. You know, when Ford launched the next Cortina, it was a big Deal. And also, when the registration plate changed, it was a big deal. You'd look out for the new license plate. We just had a new license plate this week. You got any idea what it is? I have no idea what it is. Have you seen one? No. Really? But the new Dreamliner is going to fundamentally affect jet lag. So we went from eight-hour flight causing significant impact on personal welfare to an eight-hour flight not having a significant impact. We're going to be as interested in the next plane technology as we were when I was a kid in the next Cortina. Now, you know, the delta, the incremental improvement on cars is tiny. When I had a Ford Fiesta, when you hit a hill, it literally slowed down. Now, a Ford Fiesta, it costs you two pounds. They go 120 miles an hour. They have aircon, central locking, sat-nav, uh, MP3 players, and God knows what else in them. You know, it's really, you know, it's incredible. And they all drive like Ferraris, you know. Um, 
So I think you know we're going to see just a fundamental change in how we live our lives, and I uh, think I might see that in my lifetime, but I know for certain my children absolutely will, and. You know, I remember the impact that iPod had on music. Um, I think we're about to see the same transition happen to, for instance, cash. You know, keep some. It's a souvenir because it's not going to be around for much longer. If the technology companies applied the same endeavour to cash as they did music, it would be obsolete, not in our lifetime, it'd be obsolete by 2016. A lot of young people don't carry cash. Like the whole concept of leaving the house right. with money, which my grandpa always taught me. They're like, whatever. It's my debit card. It drives me crazy. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us uh, one of the failures at Wira and why it failed and why it, that won't happen again. I mean, you were a new company, Jesus, 14, 16 months ago. Did you get anything wrong? Oh, golly, man. Um, the, the list is too long. And, <laughs> and um, I think... Um, this is one of the real problems uh, with entrepreneurialism within a corporate. Corporates tend to like everything to be done brilliantly and to perfection. Uh, let's be really clear. The Wire Europe team is three people. It's me, Maureen, who's my EA, worked with me for years, and one other person. So I've currently got somebody on secondment. Um, we don't have armies of people. So that means that we're choosing very carefully the most powerful action that's going to move Wire and our businesses and our book value forward. And there is a ton of things we're not doing, a ton of things. And if my corporate colleagues came in and lifted the lid on it, you know, I'm sure they would find all sorts of reasons to complain at me about the deficiencies that I have. Um, you know, and I think that's an uneasy tension. I'm confident that we'll get there, and I don't want it to sound like we're in absolute freefall chaos, but, you know, this is a difficult thing to do, and um, and we are evolving and learning, and we're a startup ourselves. Yeah. Right? So, would, it, would it ever spin off? Would, would Wyro you ever I, spin off I, and get your own honestly, VC funding? When you said we're talking to VCs, I yeah. thought Wyro well, was talking to yeah, VCs. Yeah, that was, you know, I see you, see, you talk about that huge gap. And as you have this alumni and they're all looking for funding and you know them, you already are invested in them and you have, you know, a massive uh, Telefonica in the background to yeah. potentially be a Series A for a lot of these guys. I, I think, listen, look, this is my personal opinion. Um, I've not got any indication from Telefonica. I cannot imagine Wire staying um, in Telefonica indefinitely. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit in my head. You know, uh, this current kind of, if you like, renaissance in, in accelerators, actually um, there are lots of uh, lead indicators that have gone before. There was a massive corporate venturing movement about 10 years or so ago, 10, 15 years ago. Every big corporate had a venturing division. Many of them spun out. You know, I think the same thing will kind of inevitably happen. I think, I don't see it happening in the immediate future, but I do see it happening longer term, and I think it'll be a good thing. And I hope that it doesn't happen with a complete severing of the connection and, and value exchange that exists between Wire and Telefonica. I hope that, you know, we can always maintain that. Um, but, you know, we have to affect change because, um, for loads of reasons, I mean, just... Um, I got asked twice yesterday, you know, how am I remunerated, you know, publicly in front of, you know, big audiences. So you have to tell the truth. Yeah, well, I'm salaried, um, you know, and, and to a lot of people, it just doesn't work. You know, if, if, the, if, if I'm passionate about the book value of our investments, 
then you know logic sort of says that I should put my money where my mouth is and be remunerated against that book value, but I'm not. And 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 that kind of methodology right now doesn't fit with, you know, if I went to the corporate HR team and said, you know, <laughs> let's do that, then they kind of yeah. scratch their heads and sort of say, well, that's not how we do things around here. So you know, I think longer term it will go. And in terms of my biggest failings, my biggest failing was you know, the euph- euphoria of building the first academy. Uh, everybody said that it would take uh, approximately 18 months and we did it in 100 days, including the launch of the actual program and getting the, selecting the, the startups. Where was the first one? The, my first one was yeah. London. So okay. the very first one was in Colombia. Okay. My first one was London. And um, it, was, it was incredible. And we had a monster of uh, uh, pressure, which was the Olympics. We wanted to get our pre-Olympics. Okay. And we opened the doors great, all these amazing startups who I thought were the best ones ever. And then I thought, Christ, now what do we do? <laughs> and, you know, literally it's like, golly, what do we, what do, we do now? You know, now I've got to accelerate them. And, and you know, uh, bless them, they forgive me all my, you know, deficiencies and all the rest of it. And we learned together. And they helped craft the very first program that I was responsible for. And now I think we've really nailed that. But... Um, you know, it's uh, it's a yeah, it's a constant, it's a constant journey. You know, we always hear that people in London compare themselves against Silicon Valley, Silicon Alley, and uh, and they would talk about a complain that London doesn't have the exits that they've had in you know in the Bay Area, and therefore those founders haven't reinvested the capital into other things. You know, the PayPal effect and all that stuff. Yeah. you have a unique perspective because you see Latin America too. Yeah. You know, you're not just in London, but. What do you think about that? Is it is it a you know is it, is it taken too far sometimes? No, I think there's a lot of validity to it. I mean, let's be really clear. I mean, Silicon Valley has got some amazing successes under its belt, and and in many ways, what we're doing is trying to replicate their success. I think um, you know we describe ourselves as trying to create Silicon Valleys all over the world. We're trying to um, prevent people from feeling compelled that it's their only option, their only life choice is to go to California. That that you know. It's viable for them to uh, incubate uh, their business, you know, indigenously in the country where they're from. Uh, and I think that I'm curious to see the effect that that's going to have. You know, I think that could be really quite colourful. You know, what happens when a social network is born in Buenos Aires? It might you know, look and smell completely different to one born in, in the States. But your point is well made. You know, we haven't had those uh, remarkable exits. And I think that a major part of that in Europe is because we're not yet a united Europe. We're still very fragmented. So in America, you know, when they really get their shoulder behind a business, boy, do they do it well. I mean, they've got hundreds of millions of customers yeah. and who all speak the same language and all you know, embrace it. But over here, everything is fragmented. And in fact, many of the startups, in my view, in Europe, are mistaken in their endeavor by just simply copying and creating a local Me Too version of a bigger entity. Yeah. Um, I understand absolutely their strategy, their thinking methodology, and often it's because they, they think if they crack it, they'll just instantly be bought. But actually, what we're, all we're doing is fragmenting the market even further. So what we're not getting is the natural escalation that you see in America, where these companies go from being small to big to huge. You know, in Europe, they kind of do something interesting, and then they stop. Right, because they can't scale the same way. They can't scale. And and actually, scaling is more important than starting. So I think that there are more jobs, more... It's a quarter of the episode. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I think think more economy is generated from scaling up than starting up. And I think in Europe, 
We've got to find better mechanisms that generate vast scale more quickly. And it could be as simple as language translation. You know, it could be as simple as currency. I'm not sure what it is, but right now, I think that bit in Europe is broken. Yeah, we've had a few startups that like walk on out and they're like, yeah, we're launching our German site. It's got to be in German. We got to go to Munich. And it's like, Jesus. They can't be .com. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they want their own .fr. And that's just one country. Yeah, you know? I really apologize for the flu, by the way. Uh, we, all, we all have a bit of it. Um, before I hit him with the advice question, Colin, is there anything I missed? Any, any gaping pieces of this story that we're not covering? No, I think, I, you know... Essentially, Uwara is collecting a ton of data, too, yes. about startups. Yes. And I think that's a really interesting thing. So maybe that'll lead into the advice question about what are you seeing sort of common themes of success and failures of the different people and companies that are, that are going through Uwara? Um, so I think on the successes side, um, in terms of valuations, the area that seems to be generating the most interest and the strongest valuations is in the space of identification, security, and e-commerce. Um, and there is a clear, you know, that's, that's rapidly sort of emerging itself as, as you know, a giant, frankly. Um, so very well-intended startups with great entrepreneurs who are doing something much more eclectic and, and representative of themselves aren't getting anywhere near what those guys are okay. doing. You know, cool. uh, Is that security and e-commerce or just pure e-commerce? It's really, it's a blend. Okay, it's of those blend. three things. Yeah, it's okay. a blend of those things. And um, what I love about that is the opportunity for Telefonica to really add um, a new level of, of input and value into that. So, for instance, um, Apple have made a you know a lot of noise uh, with their biometric stuff, the fingerprint technology, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but theoretically, your device, you know, it knows where you said you were going to be, according to your diary. Uh, it could know all your banking details and everything else. But the one bit that we could add into that that nobody can easily frig today is uh, your proximity, possibly between your devices, and the proximity of those devices relative to our mobile mast. So you said you were going to be in Barcelona. You know, are your devices in Barcelona or not? And I think that kind of stuff is quite interesting. Mm. Um, you know, we're not actually mining that yet. All the stuff we're seeing is, uh, you know, other more inventive solutions than that. You know, sure. so in Ireland we have... Well, like your phone is always within this proximity of exactly. your laptop. Oh, exactly. Right now it's two miles away. Yeah, well, it's a good like secondary security yeah, check or something. Yeah. And the whole notion of quantified self. So at the moment we've got, you know, um, Fitbit and technology that's helping people to improve their lives and their well-being. But actually the data that's coming out of that could actually establish patterns that, you know, you are typically on a train at this time of day. So mm -hmm. if somebody's trying to transact your card in Glasgow, you know, it's, it's probably not you, because you right, would right. typically, you know, so we could use those metrics for people's advantage. And I think that that's something that's uh, got a, a huge amount of t uh, potential. The other one is uh, in London, we have a team called Nareto, and they are all about quantified self. And they're taking that to another level again. So it's not just the kind of stuff you saw with the Nike wristband. It's it's really taking a holistic view of all of your data and, and mapping that out, f again, for your advantage. Okay, I'm hitting you with the advice question. Everyone has answered this question. So okay. uh, I'm going to ask you, if you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old Simon yeah. Yeah. and uh, give that young man a bit of advice, yeah. uh, what would you tell him? 
uh, there's a scene in Little Miss Sunshine that you should pay great, great attention to. Great, great yeah, so, great uh, yeah, pay attention to that. Um, but apart from that, um, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, to the younger version of me, um, I'd, I'd say go and find Mrs. Devonshire sooner because uh, uh, that was a good move. Uh, punching so much by my weight, it's unbelievable. Uh, um, it's good to feel so, that yeah. they always in a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Ching, ching, ching. those yeah. are some points being yeah. counted there. Back That's home. Much. She'll never see this. <laughs> uh, what so, are you saying? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think, uh, I, so I'm really lucky, right? So I've achieved, I'm 197. Uh, I'm constantly telling everybody I'm 27, but it's not working anymore. Uh, I've achieved more in my life than I ever imagined possible. Uh, so I, I, I'm pretty cool with that. I think um, in terms of um, uh, to, to younger people generally, um, it's funny, O2 have got this advertising campaign called, called Be More Dog. Uh, I, I was just unbelievably hungry. You know, I started off as a runner. I had no qualifications, nothing. For who? Uh, I, I started for a family-run marketing advertising agency. Okay. And my job was to deliver artwork in London. And I just worked my way up through the advertising industry until I got to the point of sort of running an agency, pretty much. Um, and, um, you know, I, I worry that the kids just don't have that hunger. I'm, I'm not saying that they all need to aspire to be Zuckerberg and, and to create startups that isn't the point you know just really apply yourself unreservedly and um, I've always been really lucky that I've always known what I wanted to do so I always wanted to be in marketing that was the starting point and I think having that focus was really helpful so I'd say be really really focused uh, be the dog is that yeah, the marketing be the dog be the dog yeah be, be hungry dog. Yeah. yeah be really yeah. hungry be ready to be hungry and be ready to take some lumps and do some things you don't want to do like yeah. run all day just go for it, right. just go for it. Just go for everyone it. has to start somewhere I think a lot of kids now that you meet they just think they're going to sort of skyrocket into a successful startup yeah. it's just like it does happen, yeah, but, but a lot of the time you, you got to work for free places, you yeah. have to learn the ropes, and, and you have to just network and make contacts. I, I love air-cooled vehicles, but what, what happened when young people just uh, felt entitled to have a Porsche? Yeah. They, that didn't happen when I was their age. And I kind of sense that now, I think. Do you not think now that? Now we sound yeah. like grumpy old men. Colin and I say this all the time. Yeah. And yeah. like I noticed it with the Gen Me or Gen We or whatever the Gen it is right now. But yeah, yeah, this whole self-entitlement, like, oh, no, I should be doing this now. And, yeah. and maybe I'm re- re- remembering my past in the wrong way. But I was like, I put in the time. I took the well, lumps. I, I took all. I got coffees for people. Uh, you yeah. know, it's, <laughs> Brian and I are both from, I used to be a currency trader. And, and Brian was derivatives trader. But so I find in the finance industry, too, you really... If you're young like that and you step onto a trading floor thinking you're more than you are, you just get shot down so unbelievably fast. Wow. So it's kind of it's good training ground for again being hungry and and, and you just yeah. it just doesn't work. You'll get kicked off that floor so fast really? if you think you're you're above some of the other guys. Yeah, good. Maybe that's yeah. something. Right, well, you answered you actually answered the third part of the advice question, which was advice to the twenty year old. So uh, that is good advice. What's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, uh, golly, over the years. Um, uh, it's so much it's hard to recall one specific bit. Um, but the one, I'll, um, the one that I'll really uh, focus on is um, when we created One Water, um, 
we, we, we begged, stole and borrowed from everybody to help us do that. And we had a... Um, what is One Water? One Water is a brand of bottled water that we sell in, in the Western world to fund. Uh, it's a not-for-profit. We fund the creation of water wells in Africa. We just uh, we started in 2004. We generated and donated more than 8 million, which I think is provided clean water for more than 2 million people. Um, and we just, last week, Duncan got listed in... Duncan Goose, who runs it, he's a legend. Uh, he just got listed in Starbucks in the UK which is awesome. So, you know, it's been a roller coaster, but uh, it's had some amazing highs. Um, and um, we, we've worked with some incredible people. And the first label designer <coughs> was a friend of Duncan's. Um, uh, and, and he said, you know, he did everything pro bono. And we were saying, why do you do that? Because I get to hang out with some really cool people and meet some amazing people. And then later on in that journey, I got to have... Um, a couple of one-to-ones with people who I've regarded as lifetime sort of legends, Pe- people that you can't imagine you're ever going to meet, let alone sit down in a room and just have a, a private conversation with them. And so, you know, he, he told me what his motivation was and I sort of really took it to heart and it, and it became true for me too. So I'm really into that kind of, you know, just give unreservedly and you'd be amazed what you kind of get back thing it's good advice what was the scene yeah. in Little Miss Sunshine uh, it was when the granddad is in the back of the camper and he says to his grandson you've got to fuck a lot of women I think it was a metaphor I just hastened to add but anyway. uh, he had the best lines in the yeah. movie man. Yeah. that was a really good movie yeah, it, was right. like, it was the way he repeated it and every time he repeated it his son was just uh, his head in his hands and it was just the whole chemistry i'm gonna go watch that i can't i mean i, I love that movie every yeah, time it yeah. comes on you can't watch enough how do people get in touch with you if they want to be part of where do they have to wait until the annual cycle is it a four-month yeah. cycle do you make exceptions uh we don't make exceptions so um everybody has to go through the uh, application process uh, but we do really try and help people through it so um that that process you know can be quite biased deliberately because what we found is that people who we connect with you know guess what they they somehow they're more determined, they're more committed, they, you know, they, they go the extra mile to find their way into the... Uh, so I have Fernando from Higher Life. Every gig I went to is at the back of the room waving at me. I was thinking, how did that guy do that? I have no idea how he did it. And you know, so we, we actually really uh, embrace and encourage that. Um, it's really easy. We're very accessible. And the amazing thing is Twitter. Okay. So before I started this, I started in January 2012, never been on Twitter before, started using Twitter. And uh, the London scene is especially good. And now we're seeing it in every country. Follow us at Wara uh, UK. Um, and we tell people what we're doing and when we've got events. And you can just ask to come up and, you know, can I attend this event? Or um, we host occasionally external events. So tonight we have the Institute of Direct Marketing in. Um, follow them and ask them if you can come. And... Come and hang out, talk to the entrepreneurs, find out whether, don't listen to whether or not I think it works. Talk to the people who are in the program and they'll tell you um, whether or not they like it or not. And then you can make an informed decision about whether it's right for you. Um, get to know the team, get to know Charmaine and Tom and Toby and Alex and the, the people who actually run the, the building, who are there all the time. Um, and go hang out with them. And, uh, and that way, kind of get in. And, and you can follow me as well, but I'm all over the shop. Uh, what's, your, what's your Twitter address? 
I, I have two. So I have at Simon Devonshire, which is interesting because that's my name. And I have another one, uh, which is uh, at Tall Man Business, which is the name of my blog. Okay. So that's, where I, that's where I impart slightly more than 140 characters of stuff about the digital economy and changing the world, world changes and how to run a successful startup. Quick question on the people getting hold. What stage of startup do you guys look for? Is it so really early stage? Okay. So we, we say typically we used to say um, <clears throat> less than two years old, okay. less than um, you know a hundred thousand euros invested. The truth is that that line is blurring now, uh, okay. and we are taking some much more established startups. Um, <clears throat> we will take individuals, but we tend not to we tend to choose teams okay. if you come in as an individual your first job will be to recruit a team um, so uh, we're really looking for people who've got the capability of realizing their vision so they've got a plan they've got an idea and they've between them got the resources to actually manifest that and that's really important cool. but it could be just a piece of paper and there's right. certainly uh, some are pre-alpha some pre-beta, some are in trial but pre-revenue, and you know the milestones we set are all about moving them on. Cool. And is there a formal process? Do you have that annual cycle? I know you just yeah, we're about to launch. Uh, so um, watch us any day now. Uh, we're going to open up the the next call. So Twitter is a great way to follow when the calls are open, and then the call process is all via our website. And it's not onerous. It does require commitment. Uh, it doesn't take days, but it does take a few hours. Uh, and we do, it's a bit of a pain in the ass, you know, things like uh, there's a bit of video required and uh, people say, you know, do you really select on that? I'm not sure we do, but what's interesting is about the teams that get in all happen to have brilliant videos, you know? So it's kind of, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's they're, they're yeah. things that are there for a reason and they do help us to filter. So you'll start looking now for next year's class. Absolutely. And you'll decide by Always. March, by June, by... Yeah. So uh, this particular, the next cohort will, um, uh, the current plan is open the call literally within the next few days. So um, that will happen imminently. I think we'll close that call and judge it pre-Christmas. Uh, and we'll probably get the, the new cohort in in. Uh, the, in the new year, I would So imagine. it is every four months you're following Roughly, that yeah, cycle? I think we're going to start to get there, yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That was good. Does that yeah. work? I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy. Um, any uh, Silicon Real news? On Twitter, we are at Silicon Real yep. if, if you want to follow us. Yep. And uh, anything else? Are we going to tell people or what? Yeah, you know, guests uh, keep, keep sort of recommendations. And we're looking for interns. We need help. You know, we got 13, this is our 13th episode. Uh, each episode more takes a little bit more time to our back catalog. So we're looking for help, looking for guys to help us as we grow as a startup and, and you know, hit us on Twitter. If yeah, hit us up on Twitter if you want to do some business yeah. development for us, part-time or full-time. We can yeah. talk about it. I mean, you know, it's a fun whole thing to be a part of Silicon Reel. And, you know, we're, we're just looking for we, partners. We won't be grumpy old men all the time. No, we will be a little bit, though. Um, but, yeah, so, so hook us up there. If you're listening to us on iTunes, you can come watch the show uh, on, uh, on YouTube. It's the channel Silicon Reel. 
And um, yeah, this is all about the scene. So please tell us who you want to see guest-wise. We've had a lot of founders, CEOs. We're going to have some startup people in. We're going to have some people that are just starting. And we still want to get a failure in. You still want to have someone yeah. that's just declared bankruptcy and just see what's going on through their head. Yeah. Okay. So it can't all be about the success yes. stories. Yeah. Um, anyways, as we say, it's about the people on Silicon Real. Simon, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, guys. I really appreciate guys. it. Cheers. Cool. Take care. Then we'll do this. If it doesn't, we'll, we'll do that. Do you ever think that there's a point where it becomes too creative and not about the bottom line? I do worry about that, um, and that's a perfectly valid criticism because uh, there's always the danger of ooh shiny, and we have hired all these amazing people. Ooh shiny, oh ooh shiny, and we have yeah. a big ooh shiny ooh, room, shiny, right? right? Wow, ooh yeah. shiny, you know. Right. Let's try this out over here. Let's try that out over there. Um, the the trick.